It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Dana Perino, and this is Perino on Politics. Last month at the first Republican presidential primary debate in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, eight eligible Republican candidates had the opportunity to intro themselves to America on a national stage. In two days, on Wednesday, September 27th at the Reagan Library, the as of now seven eligible presidential candidates will once again take the debate stage to show voters why they deserve the nomination. Today, I'm rejoined by a friend you've met before, if you've been listening to the podcast. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. He's no stranger to the podcast. He's no stranger to me, a very good friend of mine, Republican strategist and the co-founder of South and Hill Strategies, Colin Reed. Colin, welcome back to Perino on Politics. Dana, what a treat it is to be back. Thank you for having me. Ah, thank you. Well, you're a crowd favorite the first time around. And this was when we did the preview of the first debate. I've been doing a lot of media interviews, and I guess I've come to the conclusion that that first debate is so critical, but so is the second one. If you're going to see if you can find a way to prove that you should be the main rival to former President Donald Trump, who has a very commanding lead in this race. So you're great at debate prep and preview. Let me turn it over to you just to tell us what you're thinking, what you're looking for, or even what the candidates are thinking what they have to do getting into this debate on Wednesday. And this debate is happening among so many other big news events. Of course, the debate will be the main event, and it will be expertly moderated, no doubt, by uh, <laughs> present company and your colleagues. But if you look at what's happening this week, we start off uh, on Monday. We're in the midst of an unprecedented auto strike, and both the leading presidential candidates are heading up to Michigan this week. And then at the end of the week, we've got a potential shutdown of the government. And I know we're going to get into both of those topics more. And then square in the middle, we've got this uh, debate. And then over the weekend, there was just this series of momentous national polls uh, that should give these candidates a lot to work with. And, um, you know, it's it's always amusing to me when people like to dismiss national polls. And I, I do, too, because the, the head-to-head numbers really don't mean much. And we don't choose our presidents via a national election. We have we choose by uh, the state-by-state way we go and, and the Electoral College, much to the chagrin of Democrats. Uh, but Uh, Let's start with those polls, because they do give a number of these candidates things to work with. I mean, the thing that jumped out to me was seven in 10 voters disapprove of President Biden's handling of the economy. Think about that. Seventy percent of people in this country polled don't think his economic policies are working. And yet he's grounded his entire reelection campaign around so-called Bidenomics. So if I'm one of those candidates getting ready for that, that's where I'm going to plant my flag and really, really focus, because it's not even up for debate. Uh, Joe Biden, as as dismal as those numbers were across the board, I think only his handling of the border was worse than his handling of the economy. So it's just a great jumping off point for these candidates to jump in and explain why they're different, not only from their competitors on that stage, but also from the uh, status quo in, in, the, in the current president. There are the national polls, and then there is our system, which is that in the primary system, you vote in Iowa first, and then New Hampshire, 
uh, and then you go to South Carolina and then on to Super Tuesday. And some of these candidates will say, well, that's my path to figuring out a way to beat Donald Trump. Is that plausible? It is. And look, anyone who tells you that Donald Trump is not the front runner is is not being completely genuine. But at the same time, there are signs that his lead might be softened a bit in some of these early states. Uh, he's still up. Uh, but last week, there was a couple of polls in New Hampshire that had him uh, below not only 50%, but also below 40%. And that number's come down from where it is in the summer. And if you look at that a different way, if less than uh, 40% of people support Donald Trump, then 60% of people support somebody else. Now, that, that, that rest of the pie is fractured a bunch of different ways, and we can get into the implications of that. But I think one of the things that's really interesting is over the summer, Dana, and the last time we spoke, former President Trump was in the news constantly for his legal issues. And he hasn't really been there in, in about a month or so. And if you're going to attribute something to his potential dip in the polls, it could be the fact that out of sight, out of mind. Now, he was in the campaign trail uh, today I saw in South Carolina. So maybe that's starting to change. And maybe he knows that it's not you can't just sit back on the lead and 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 hope it's going to sustain. We talked about the the prevent defense last time. It's a football analogy, but I, I, it's it's almost more like tennis. You know, you're you're a tennis player, and and it's it's when you when you get that momentum, you're really hard to stop. And then when you lose that momentum, it's really hard to get back. And uh, you got to kind of keep your feet moving. Uh, if there's one thing that all these even amateur tennis players like me know, it's if you stand still, uh, you, you start to give your opponents room to to grow. And, and I think that might be uh, what's happening here in some of these early states. So. In the first debate, one of the things that I think at least even some of the candidates were frustrated with is they felt that the some people on the stage were ball hogs and talking over each other. And there were some moments where it felt a little chaotic. So I'm well aware of that as a co-moderator. I'm not exactly sure what Martha and Brett could have done better on that, frankly, because this really comes down to personal behavior by the candidates. Um, But given that this particular debate means that you got to show your donors and your supporters that you have what it takes to continue on with that kind of energy and funding. So what's the strategy for some of these candidates to really have a breakout moment this time? Well, unfortunately for you and your uh, fellow moderators, <laughs> it's usually to try and just ignore the rules and bulldoze and 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 steal as much of the the limelight as you can because these opportunities to have this wrapped audience of people who are paying attention and all of whom are very much involved, whether it's donors, early state supporters, grassroots activists, you name it, it's just so few and far between. And after this, I don't. It's not till November eighth is the next debate, and that's a long time. So these. These opportunities don't come along very often, and you got to seize the moment when it when it comes along. And uh, yeah, but I also think you know, in 2015, I went back and pulled the transcript. At at this point in time, in the second debate, there were 11 candidates. We're already down mm. to seven at this point. So it's already a, a smaller field, and even having that one less candidate up there is going to give other folks some some running room some opportunity to take their shots uh make their make their make their points and take advantage of that audience because you have to and it doesn't it's these these debates are so so consequential they are one of the few opportunities to really upend the trajectory and uh the 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 status of the status quo if you will so uh i would expect there to be not i would expect there to be candidates who are very willing to uh, really uh, do everything they can to, to take take that chance. 
Yeah, I bet they are. I mean, I can imagine it being super aggressive, maybe a little bit more pointed, maybe towards each other or maybe even towards the moderator. We shall see. Just so everybody knows who we're talking about here, the candidates who have qualified for the second Republican debate are Governor Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, former Governor Nikki Haley, former Vice President Mike Pence, former Governor Chris Christie, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, and then North Dakota's Governor Doug Burgum. He made it sort of at the last minute. Asa Hutchison, the former governor of Arkansas, he did not make it. Of course, former President Trump qualifies in fundraising and polling, but he did not sign the pledge. And anyway, he's decided not to come. And we're going to talk a little bit in a moment about the strike and and how that is playing into it. But before we finish this first segment, I did want to ask you about the two big polls. Yesterday, ABC News had a poll that had President Trump beating President Biden in a rematch by nine or ten points. And then you had an NBC poll that showed Biden doing just uh, terribly, but a little bit more tied with Donald Trump. Actually, interestingly, in that NBC poll, Nikki Haley was up five points over Biden in a theoretical matchup, which is interesting because she always says, I'm the one that the White House is most worried about. So I'm sure she is trying to show people, I told you that was so. Your thoughts on those two polls as we wrap up this first segment? Well, first, as an aside, it was pretty amusing the lengths of which some of these poll, the people who actually conducted the poll went to tell everyone not to pay attention to them, uh, saying this must be an outlier because they didn't like what it said. And look, I'm sure it probably was. Uh, I don't think anyone thinks this is going to be a 10 point race either way. I, I don't think either. We're, we're a very divided, closely divided country and no presidential candidate, at least in our current environment is going to win a national election by 10 points. But I, what I do think are these polls, the things that are consistent across the board, is you're going to be in the Reagan library this week, and President, then candidate Reagan, made the argument, is your, is made, the, made the case in his uh, 1980 election versus Jimmy Carter, is your life better now than it was four years ago? And the answer for almost everyone is a resounding no. Uh, and if you look back in 2019, gas was half, as, half the price it is now. Mortgage rates were half the price they were now. Air travel hadn't become this nightmare that it is for so many. Uh, things like inflation, supply chain, vaccine requirements. These were all just kind of, they weren't even in our lexicon four years ago. Uh, and then they've now, all those things have become real, real life pain during the Biden era. So people are looking back to 2019 and thinking, huh, life might have been better then. And, and it, maybe it's not necessarily a reflection on the, on the current president or the former one, but it's just how difficult and challenging life has become. And uh, if that's if that's the case that these candidates are able to make on the stage and articulate why they're able to take us back to a, a better place in time, it could be a powerful and compelling message. What do you hear, if anything, from Democrats about their level of worry at this moment? Uh, they're pretty honest and I'll give them credit they just think look uh, our guy might be too old and our guy might not be inspiring confidence but he, he didn't he, he, can, he can beat the former president and that's basically the, the narrative that Democrats uh, are sticking to and uh, it's not a terribly complicated one but I don't know it's not one I'd want to carry into a, a general election and especially with those uh, those numbers that were coming out right now I mean if seven in ten voters don't think the status quo the economic status quo is 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 good that's a really really bad place to be and that's like second term six years into a presidency when uh-huh. yeah not not yeah. three and a half years in and one last thing the other thing that was announced today is that there is going to be another debate and not just a gop primary debate the next gop primary debate will be november 8th 
But the debate I think a lot of people are going to want to watch was just announced. Fox News will host and Hannity will moderate a debate between Governor Newsom and Governor DeSantis on November 30th. Must see TV right there. And I mean, look, in so many ways, it's the it's the uh, the split screen that America wants to see. Right. Forget about those two guys for a second. Florida versus California, the bastion of liberalism versus the place that became free and thrived during the pandemic. And those two have become uh, vessels and vehicles for those movements. And I guess I don't think it's any secret that Governor Newsom has his eye on higher office and certainly Governor DeSantis is as well. He's running for president. So, uh, look, I think that'll get a lot of eyeballs and uh, I'm looking forward to watching it and i'm sure a lot of other people will too it doesn't come without oh, yeah. risk for governor DeSantis, given this the, the the state of his campaign but he also needs uh something to shake things up so uh uh nothing lost nothing gained nothing lost i will be watching that for sure all right we will wrap up segment one but before we head to the break i've got a candidate quotable as we always do which presidential candidate is responsible for the following statement look this country's in a lot of trouble joe biden has weakened america at home and abroad And I think the former president, just like all the rest of us vying for the Republican nomination, owe it to the American people to express what our agenda will be for turning this country around. We'll have that answer coming right up. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Welcome back to Perino on Politics. Colin, we're going to continue talking about Wednesday's second Republican presidential primary debate. But I also want to talk about some of the issues that are happening right now that make this such a big news week. We've got the government shutdown as a possibility. We have the UAW strikes. And we have Bob Menendez, the senator from New Jersey and some criminal hot water. And we have a, the first impeachment inquiry hearing this week. So a lot happening news wise. There is. Uh, it's uh, it's a it's an abundance of riches if you're in the news business. Lots to sift through. So, so let's start at the top with UAW strikes, because it's scrambling politics a little bit on the Republican side of things. But I also am curious about how Biden and the administration and the left fits into this conversation. Yeah, it's a sticky wicket, uh, as they say. And uh, I just wrote about this for FoxNews.com. Uh, everyone can go check it out there. And uh, but 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 the the thing that uh, that struck me from the beginning of this is this entire debate is an argument between the unions and the green movement and the unions have been so long such a reliable ally for the democratic party and getting them their candidates elected and uh, fundraising and the green movement is certainly ascendant as as the debate over climate change has become uh, a bigger and bigger deal and what's happening right now i mean the big thing there's a lot of different fault lines in this in this debate but one of the things is is president biden is forcing this country whether we like it or not to transition to electric vehicles and he's doing so on artificial timelines his epa has said that by 2032 two-thirds of the cars in this country will be electric states like california new jersey and others are going at an even more accelerated pace and electric cars are more expensive to make. They require parts from China. They don't require as much um, labor 
physical labor to, to put together and they are um, more expensive across the board and these car these 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 car companies are losing money on it so if for on the one hand the Biden administration to say you guys better transition your fleets your vehicles everyone needs to go electric on the other hand these workers are saying well we want a lot more pay something's got to give and this is this is the uncomfortable reality the Biden administration is in uh, and it's just not a great place to be when you've already got great skepticism across the board to have two would-be allies just sniping at each other and it's just so interesting to me because he'll make it all about corporate greed and these CEOs are making too much money and these workers deserve to be paid more but he just ignores his own complicitness in this and and the in the way that these EVs uh, it's just a completely unrealistic timeline that he and others are imposing. And now that rubber is starting to meet the road. And President Trump is going to go to be with workers on Wednesday. But I know that Biden is going to be with workers in Michigan to, today, Monday. And I do you think that the White House is hoping that this strike comes to an end before President Trump's event on Wednesday night? I think they want this strike to come to an end, period, because it's divided. It's a camp divided. Um, as it relates to Trump and what he's trying to do, look, labor unions are at the end of the day, they're Democrats, and they're going to they're gonna largely vote Democrat. I don't think it's a bad idea for Trump to do what he's doing to try and sow the seeds of dissent. And look, he, Trump was, to give, give the guy credit, he was the only candidate in 30 years to win states like Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania in, in 2016. Yep. So he showed there is a way to do it. Um, but it's just it's just a really not a good place for uh, the, the, the Biden White House to be in right now. And, you know, I, it's it's he's he's in the the you've seen from the public commentary. He, he, I don't know that his presence is necessarily welcome. And I think these 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 labor unions are really sticking it to him in a way that is just not not good for him. I would have loved been a fly on the wall at the chief of staff's office over the weekend at the White House. But there's also the other big news, a possible government shutdown. Yeah, the, look, that's the talk of the town right now. I, look, the only story that's been written more often the last eight or nine months about Speaker McCarthy's impending political demise is Vice President Harris's reset. And it just seems like every day the, the press wants to write that McCarthy's done, he's going to lose his job, and he's pulled a rabbit out of a hat a number of times on a number of different occasions. And I just got to believe that somehow they're going to find a way uh, to get this done because these government shutdowns, they do not benefit Republicans. Republicans always take it on the chin in the media. Uh, I think it was Mitch McConnell is fond of saying there's no education in the second kick of a mule. Uh, and government shutdowns over time, 96, 2013, 2019, Republicans always get blamed for it. The government eventually reopens and everybody kind of moves on. And they don't end up being necessarily drivers of, of electoral uh, they're not going to be featured in campaign ads. People aren't going to go vote. But it is one thing that if Republicans have learned time and time again, they will take the short-term blame. But that being said, I, I feel like they're going to find a way out of this somehow. It's just not in anyone's interest to shut down the government. Uh, Republicans are right. You know, they, they do need to get a handle on uh, out-of-control spending. They do need to put the brakes on this. this that was the, the number one reason that voters said in exit polls they elected a Republican Congress. So you can't just go along to get along and keep on spending. Uh, but at the same time, shutting down the government, that does, that's, that's a, a problem in search of a solution. 
And then quickly on Bob Menendez, the senator from New Jersey, the Democrat who twice in a decade now has been accused of political corruption. Uh, He was indicted about six years ago or at least brought to trial six years ago. That was a hung jury. But then apparently in the same year, now the Justice Department is alleging in an indictment that he had $480,000 worth of cash at his home. He was doing the bidding of the Egyptian government on behalf of somebody who he and his wife had made friends of. Uh, I, I think that you would say this is doesn't seem like it's a very complicated scandal, but even though some people like Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez have said he needs to resign. Even John Fetterman said he should resign. And Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, he hasn't said that yet. Do you think he'll be pressured to do so? What a doozy. I mean, I'd like to be a fly on the wall of those crisis communications meetings to figure out how you're going to spin the fact that there was half a million dollars in cash or gold bars found in your uh, robe with your Senate insignia on it. Um and if these charges were said so- it was for emergencies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think probably getting to the bottom of the barrel in terms of uh, uh, a pliable uh, spin at this point. If these charges weren't so concerning uh, and he weren't the chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee facing allegations of selling United States interests to a foreign country in exchange for. Uh, his own personal profit. It would be almost, they're so brazen, it's almost, you, you, the, the guy, you know, you want to give the guy credit for, for being so brazen, but it is, it's really, it's really concerning. Uh, but this is one of those things that's not complicated. This doesn't require uh, following the ins and outs of calls to Ukraine or d- d- foreign energy companies or some of these other various impeachment scandals on both sides of the aisle. You really got to kind of dig in to understand what's going on. Uh, this is pretty basic. Uh, a foreign country wanted something from a United States senator who happened to be the chair of the uh, uh, Foreign Relations Committee, and he's uh, allegedly uh, uh, provided uh, material goods in exchange for influence. And it's one of those things that people who are just tuning in the evening news can kind of gravitate toward uh, pretty quickly. And I guess the qu- your question, though, was politically, what's this going to mean? Well, two things. One, the Democrats want to make the referendum on the former president all about corruption, all about uh, personal conduct and whether whether he's fit for office. And th- that this, this complicates their ability to be uh, pure messengers on that. And then two, every Democrat running for Senate next year, many of whom are in competitive races, are going to face questions about whether they continue to support Senator Menendez, whether they're going to give the money back they've received from him, whether they think he should resign. It's like a Band-Aid. You just got to pull it off and, and deal with the pain in one fell swoop and not not let it linger. Um, yeah. And who knows? If if this thing, if he hangs around, there could even be a potential outside shot of a Republican having a, a punter's chance in a state like New Jersey, which should never happen. Could happen this year. All right. We are going to wrap that up. But before we go, I want to tell you who that candidate quotable was. First, listen. Look, this country's in a lot of trouble. Joe Biden has weakened America at home and abroad. And I I think the former president, just like all the rest of us vying for the Republican nomination, owe it to the American people to express what our agenda will be for turning this country around. Yes, that was former Vice President Mike Pence. Don't go away. More Perino on politics up next. We are back with Perino on politics. And before we wrap everything up, let's look a little bit ahead. Colin, I always love to ask because I'm consumed with the debate. You know what's really weird about this? I've been 
I had a blank canvas, okay? I could ask any question, any topic. So you start with all sorts of topics. I probably had 110 questions in mind, right? And then you realize that if you do the math, you don't have that much time to ask that many questions. And there's two other moderators and there are seven candidates. So I've been paring it down and paring it down and I delete two and then I add one. And anyway, it's hard to get that down, but it does make me realize that we have a lot of problems that we need to solve in this country, but we also have a lot going on that I might be missing. And so what do you think I should know that I might not have on my radar? Well, I would say two things. One, un- under President Biden, the, the the so-called bully pulpit that the president is supposed to command has just been uh, incredibly shrunk. He's just really almost absent from the conversation on any of these big ticket issues. And, you know, you know this, working for the president of the United States, you can go out there and command the microphones, command the cameras any point you want. And he just doesn't really seem interested or capable of doing that. And it's just allowed all these other figures to to dominate in his presence. And and secondly, you know, there, people like to laugh when Biden falls off his bike or trips on the stairs or can't pronounce LL Cool J or has some other cringe, cringeworthy moment. And, and people kind of say, oh, that's Biden. He's just look at this guy. He can't do anything right. But while all that's happening, there's a lot of stuff happening at, at his agencies at his cabinet level that has going to have real, real impact on people's lives. And, you know, Joe Biden got elected as this, the idea of this guy being this moderate deal maker, but the people he appointed are anything but. And uh, I'll give you a couple examples. The FTC led by Lena Khan, they're in the process of trying to break up Amazon. So anyone who likes two-day shipping and, and, and Amazon Prime and all its features, don't get used to it. Uh, the DOJ is in the process of dismantling Google. Uh, the EPA wants to make it impossible to drive uh, electric uh, gas-powered cars and wants to tell people what kind of car to drive and how to drive it. So, so these are these are things that aren't they go beyond debates about m- marginal tax rates or foreign policy or any sort of other esoteric debate. These are, these are real life issues. And Biden may be kind of a laughable guy at this point, but the people running his government are not. They are. They yeah, they're are, on a they're mission and they they're are. not wasting any time. Right. And, and the big the big the big decisions in, in government frequently happen below the scenes, below the radar from people you've never heard of, never could pick out of a lineup, people who are never mm-hmm. on a ballot. But they have a lot of power. And this Biden administration, if, if allowed to do that for another four years, there is a lot of stuff they can do that a lot of people aren't going to like. Is there a place where if people wanted to learn more about those issues, um, do you have publications that you like to look at that I might not have? Mm, I don't think so. No one reads more than you, Dana. So uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know. If, <laughs> Was that a leading question? I don't know. Yeah. Anyone, anything that I, I've read is chances are you've already covered. But um, no, and, 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 and there, there's a lot right now that just gets kind of lost amidst the churn. Um, so I, I don't have a great answer for you on that one. So we're getting ready for this debate. And any words of advice for me, the moderator, one of the moderators? Mm. Well, I never moderated a debate, but I think, and I know you'll do this, is because you've been on the other side of it too, is ask the question in a way that is uncomfortable and is makes it difficult for them to just repeat back uh, the canned line. 
and all these candidates are, are busy prepping and they're saying, if I get this question this way, this is how I answer it. So the best, the best questions are the ones that require uh, a split second level of thinking that hasn't gone on in prep. And that's when the, the fireworks can, can, can really uh, take off. So, but you're going to do. Is this a debate gonna, where they would be preparing to attack one of the other candidates on the stage on a position? I think so. I mean, the field has, if you look at the last five weeks, the field really, it hasn't really changed that much in terms of uh, mm-hmm. pecking order. I guess Governor DeSantis might have come down a few pegs. Governor Ambassador Haley might have gone up a bit, but everyone else is kind of bunched together. And I always think back to 2020 and how clustered on the Democratic side and how clustered that field was and how Joe Biden, candidate Joe Biden was at the bottom of the pack and how quickly everything consolidated and, and fell around him. So things, can, everything can change on a dime. And history tells us that, and these debates can be the catalyst for that. So uh, that's why it's so important, and that's why uh, everybody will be watching on Wednesday night. Okay, so we are going to wrap everything up here, but we have the pop quiz, and there are three possible categories you get to choose. Very easy uh, quiz here. Presidential potpourri, campaign slogans, or debate debacles. Hmm... Well, I, yeah, I, let's go with debacles. Okay, I think you're going to get this one. <laughs> At a 2008 Democratic presidential primary debate in New Hampshire, when a debate moderator referenced then-Senator Clinton's low likability numbers, she responded, that hurts my feelings. I don't think I'm that bad. What did then-Senator Obama retort? You're likable enough, Hillary. Yes, you got it. You're lucky that you chose that New Hampshire one since you know that area so well in that state. Well, I was hoping for another chance at the pet section. President (laughs) Pets. Maybe maybe next time. Maybe next time. And you will be back indeed. Uh, I love having you on the show. Thank you, Colin. Dana, you're going to do great on Wednesday. Everyone will be watching and uh, can't wait to tune in. Okay. Thank you so much. And everyone, I appreciate your listening. Tell all your friends. This has been Perino on Politics. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 